Welcome to Farmer Talk Radio. I'm Danny McCarthy. In this episode, LabCorp's Linda Ross, Associate Director of Commercial Strategy, Decentralized Clinical Trials, brings an on-the-ground perspective to the benefit of incorporating decentralized strategies into your clinical trial approach. Thank you so much for being here, Linda, and welcome. After COVID, do you think conversations around incorporating DCTs are being proactively started or are we still in a space of reactive planning? I think traditionally our healthcare systems are very hierarchical and it's doctors placed at the top of them. And this is strongly felt particularly in some parts of the world and some cultures more than others. But DCT allows for a more patient-focused approach. I think that COVID has certainly fast-tracked decentralized clinical trials. And it has had to change that model quicker than we would have otherwise anticipated. It's been around for a while, but this has really changed it globally and in a shorter frame of time. Can you tell our audience about your background and the work you're leading at LabCorp? I've been working at LabCorp, previously known as Covance, for about 14 years, starting as a CRA. And prior to that, I came from a nursing background where I worked in almost all the therapeutic areas in a large Auckland hospital as a senior nurse. So I could transition to any ward or department and manage complex patients or circumstances. And then I moved into being a study coordinator for acute stroke studies, which I absolutely loved. I was a CRA for some time, and then I moved into being a clinical team lead and then into a project manager. And now I've transitioned into specialising in decentralised clinical trials. I think in my experience as a nurse and study coordinator, I had a really good understanding of the patients, their challenges in the clinical trials, and how much it meant to them to have them placed as a priority, thinking about their needs, their capabilities, and their perspective. From both your past experience and your current role, where are you seeing the bottlenecks in clinical research or patient and site burden that could be alleviated by a flexible approach? Sure. So going back to the having the, the doctor at the top model, um, if you think about it, when I was um, working as a study, a study coordinator in a stroke study, this was you know 20 years ago. And being able to operate as a study coordinator and basically run the trial, I was able to go and visit the patients at home. Remember, these patients had had strokes, and so they were left with some, with some sort of deficit in some way. Then getting into a taxi during the day, calling on family who are often working, and then making the hospital visit for a couple of hours was really difficult. So I decided to go and visit them at home and give them their injections, their new medications, completed their questionnaires. And this, and, perform, and I performed our neuro examinations as well, really saw a change in the way we cared for our patients. They now no longer needed to come to site. And this was a real game changer for patients, but also for their family. Patients were happier to participate Therefore, there was increased recruitment. They were easier to manage the study procedures, so there were less dropout rates. Our relationships and trust were built. And so there was better long-term follow-up and more compliance, so therefore less, less protocol deviations. I think there's a shift in the mindset that is starting. That the more it's discussed and challenged and DCT is embraced, I think there's a real advancement in clinical trials we've seen uh, for some time, and I really hope it continues in this manner. DCTs are still not being widely adopted. What do you attribute that to? I think there's two things mainly, mindset and cost. So for sponsors and protocol writers, as they're incredibly focused on their study, it's like they almost have their blinkers on. 
And I found so often that they haven't taken the time to think about what they're asking of the patient and their loved ones to do, how much of their time and energy and cost is needed to be part of their study. And it's one thing if it's an oncology study and there's no other treatment options, but on other conditions when there are many alternatives or it's a diagnostic study where the patient is healthy with no history of the condition and they need to go through unpleasant screening and tests during the patient is the highest priority, absolutely critical. And then there's the cost. The sponsors so often look at the budget line and work out what can be removed. And I hope with more patient-centric approach is starting to be more realised as being essential. If you can set it up from the beginning during protocol writing, it really does save, uh, save costs in the long run, whether it's recruitment timelines, travel costs, the CRA's time, data query counts, source data verification percentages or, or even extracting the data at the end of the study. Because there is more of an upfront cost for incorporating a DCT approach, how do you convey the value proposition to a sponsor of the long-term benefits downstream? It's a really good question and it, it is tricky. It's not a one-size-fits-all type solution and I think that's one of the biggest messages that we can share. Every protocol is different. Everybody's sponsor's requirements are different whether it's the countries or whether it's a therapeutic area, the age of the population, et cetera. So I think it really does need to be modified and presented to them uniquely so that they can see that we've thought about their study and what their requirements are and the best solutions for that study. But it is a real mind shift change, and I think it will take time. But as I said, we need to make sure that we just don't think this is a one-stop shop solution um, and it can be applied to all studies and just rolled out as a as a standard procedure, and it does need to be thought about very carefully in relation to the protocol. Is there anything that sponsors can adopt that is relatively lower risk in terms of DCT, but highlights the big impact that a decentralized approach can have on a trial? So the probably, the probably the most widely used service is our eCOA or ePro, which are our questionnaires that patients do electronically rather than paper. You know, given, I'll say, 10 years ago, they were all on paper. And the patients wrote down their scores. A study coordinator would then enter that data into the um, case report forms on the electronic EDC. Uh, and then a monitor would have to come along and monitor that. And there would be a number of queries, whether a study coordinator advanced one question more than what was on the paper, and so all the scoring was out for all the questions, one hadn't been answered, one might not have been clear because you couldn't read the writing of the patient, all sorts of issues with them. And so I think we all know, we've been around in clinical research long enough now that we know that doing it electronically absolutely makes 100%, whether it's having an iPad or a desktop computer or some sort of tablet, and the patients can enter that now electronically. There is no transcript error. There is no human error of putting it into um, an EDC, and there is no monitor now needing going to monitor those uh, questionnaires. So that is you know, many thousands of dollars saved because you haven't got all that extra labour work, and then that's not even including things like the data management team who then need to process it and make sure it's clean. From their point of view, it's a straight export. So I think that's a really simple example that it's been around a long enough that we know that it works and most studies now would always have an electronic form of questionnaire and they wouldn't consider paper and there's you know a very small circumstances where there might only be a dozen patients on the study um, and the other things like e-consent are probably is the next one that comes along 
whereas people now are understanding that e-consent will probably be the next thing that helps reduce human error and is very easy to conduct and have it as an electronic document rather than paper. Are there any other elements that you see as next for wider adoption? For me, televisits comes alongside e-consent. You know, many patients, about, about the same 70% of patients live within two hours from a site. So there's a huge travel burden for patients. If you can do that, like on a Zoom call and have a conversation with the doctor and the patient and their loved ones and discuss the study remotely via a televisit in person um, and have a chance to ask those questions and then send them the document for signing, then that's, that's a no-brainer. Um, I think those two go very much in parallel. But also once the patient's on the study, they can set up a call with the doctor. They don't have to make an appointment or come into the site and hang around and parking and travel and all those sorts of things. You know, if they have an adverse event that they have a new symptom that they would wanted to ask about whether they should come in and see the doctor or not, or should they go to their emergency department or not, they could do that via a televisit call. Um, I think that really will change the, the shift in the way we care for our patients to a more remote-based system. And if you already have the tablet or the phone with the eco or epro type system, then that televisit's just an add-on. It's very simple. But I think the next big shift is our mobile nursing services. COVID certainly advanced that process where the nurses go to the patient's home and do a lot of the care for them at their own home. And that's probably the next big shift that will come. It's more adopted in some countries than others, and we need our mobile nurses as well to be able to go and visit the homes. Uh, but we also have phlebotomists who can visit the, the patient's home or workplace and take their bloods and things as well. So I think that's going to be the next uh, biggest shift in our, our form of DCT services. How should protocol designers assess their trial for decentralized approaches that will have the optimal impact? What we tend to do is look at the schedule of assessments and the inclusion exclusion criteria. Thinking about who is the recipient, what age bracket are they, what medical conditions have they got, um, will they likely be working and a busy parent juggling children and after school activities and things and therefore more limited to have spare time. Um, but also then looking at the schedule of assessments, what tests or what procedures are we asking them to do? And so we will often look at that table and colour code things that can be done under different services. How much of that could be done via a televisit or electronically? How much could be done at home or via a local laboratory service and not having to have the patients come in? And if you look at that after a bit of colour coding, it's very easy to see actually maybe 50% of those visits could be done remotely. So that's how we tend to do it. I think the key thing really is that the protocol writers think about it early on, include those options in their protocol. It does make a lot of easier and it does save a lot of cost further down the track rather than adding it in later um, and having a flexibility so that if countries or sites are able to conduct those services, that then we make the most of that opportunity. How do you encourage thinking flexibly in the protocol design? Clinical trials are not known for being flexible. It's a very black and white industry as such. Um, has very hard and fast rules around it that we're, we're bound by to ensure that it's you know, performed correctly and into a high standard to make meaningful results. But I think, as I said before, I think putting on that hat, 
that the patient is somebody in your family and walking through the study really does make a difference to think about how could we make it a little bit easier and what what could we be flexible on that helps therefore enable a better study, whether it's, as we said, less dropout rates, higher compliance. These are big issues for sponsors. Around 30% of patients drop out um, from a study and around 55% of, patients, of studies don't even recruit enough patients. So that's a lot of money that's being used that doesn't create a meaningful result at the end of the study. So it's re- I think it's really important now more than ever uh, that COVID has helped highlight that we do need to think a little bit more flexibility from a patient perspective and being able to help mitigate some of those issues uh, and identify some of those you know, problems first early so that we can help um, ensure that the study is a success. Are there any changes needed in our planning or operations that need to occur before we can more widely adopt DCTs or is it more of a change management and mindset issue? Personally, I, and this is very much personally, I do think it's a mindset. Uh, it's, a, it's a shift that, you know, we've always done it a certain way. As I said, the doctor is top of the food chain and such hierarchically. Um, and, and that's well, it's starting to shift where the patient is becoming a higher priority and their needs and concerns uh, are being placed as a higher level. So yes, in short, I think it is essentially a large thing of mindset. Obviously, as I said before, that the second part would be cost certainly an issue. Cost, I think, will come down. DCT is still new. Um, We're still paving the way. And there are many articles written about this that as it becomes more industry standard and things are a lot more streamlined, then the cost will also come down and it will be negligible. Um, At the moment, there are still a lot of set-up costs and and country infrastructure and things that need to be developed in some places. Um, but I, I do believe that will change dramatically, like things like risk-based monitoring and other things that have become the new norm. Um, this will be the same as well. Is there any data that is being presented to sponsors to highlight the strong impact of decentralization? We're building that, to be honest, and I think the entire industry is. Uh, it's still relatively new, but we are building those facts and figures now. Um, we, you know, we would like to be able to show, you know, an average bringing the study in six months earlier because the recruitment was better, the patients were more compliant, and the data could be extracted faster or cleaner. Um, those sorts of figures and percentages are very meaningful for sponsors. They were a real deal breaker at times. And we are collaboratively, I think, across the industry creating those numbers. Some companies, our competitors, have different figures. Um, at our company, we're developing that as well, like everybody else. But... There are some now better numbers from a industry-wide um, figures that do come through as that obviously it is a faster, cleaner way to bring a study in. Um, and then I've, uh, you know, sometimes during discussing in bid defences, um, that is something that comes up uh, often as different companies having different percentage rates or figures and how they can perform those trials. So um, it is still new ground. Uh, those will come more and more available. And in the meantime, each company is doing their own numbers to help get those metrics, even whether it's startup timelines or recruitment rates, data cleaning timelines, things like that. There's, there's certain categories that, that are really the sponsors like to know that DCT will help enable. But to be honest, sometimes the DCT component is a human touch. It's the 
the compassionate point is not necessarily a data hard defined percentage or dollar factor. Um, building a rapport with a patient via a televisit won't have a dollar factor. But that patient on a three-year study might go to the end and finish the two-year-long term follow-up and be compliant. And so therefore, at the end of the day, I don't know how you measure that, but there is less dropout rate. But, you know, those patients stay on the study. And so being able to insert a service like this, like televisits, you know, yes, there is a line on the budget, but actually the overall factor of keeping that patient on the study and involved in the clinical research far outweighs what a dollar line might be on that, you know, on the budget line when we're discussing the study at the beginning of the of the project. How have patients responded to DCT approaches in the trials you've worked with? I think they're really positive. I'll give you an example of a, a story um, during COVID in Australia. There's another study I was running um, and Australia was a single country. And then COVID hit in 2020. The client was from China. Uh, and so they got hit first at the end of 2019. They were the first country, as you know, to, to have a pandemic. And so they felt the full impact before the rest of the world. And so um, they then had to learn to work from home. They had to learn to, you know, carry on, even though being unwell. Colleagues were made of being offline. Their whole city went into lockdown. Um, and then Australia was hit in March 2020. And I guess the fortunate thing for us is that because China and the sponsor had been hit first, they understood the challenges that we were facing. We were trying to get patients to sites. The CRAs were not able to go and visit the sites. They weren't able to have people cross the borders within Australia. No one was at site. They were working from home. Visits were cancelled. And everything just took so much longer to resolve. And so an example here is I had this um, 40-year-old gentleman he was from Hobart, which is a small island off the south of Australia. He had three children and he was working. And whilst in the city, he'd been stable for two years from his oncology diagnosis. And this was a huge success for him. He would fly to Melbourne every three weeks, um, go and see the doctor, get his IV infusion, stay the night and then fly home and go back with his family within the next 24 hours. But then the COVID numbers soared in Australia and eventually the government placed restrictions on that travel between the states and territories. So then he was being expected to fly to Melbourne, quarantine for five days, go to site, have his treatment, then quarantine for another five days before going home. So at least 10 days of his 21 cycle was in a quarantine hotel. You can imagine how that difficult that was for the family, his time that they had with him and spending most of it being in the hotel the pressures on the family members, just the fact that he was away would have been enormous. And so the site reached out to me to see what we could do. And we came up with a strategy to utilise an oncologist at his local uh, Hobart hospital who was willing to work with us. And we didn't want to set up a satellite site or another whole site, but instead we used that local oncologist as our point of contact to discuss the patient, his care, and dose the patient. But the Melbourne-based doctor would remain the primary treating physician and care for patient as a primary investigator. We presented this option to our client, who graciously accepted and agreed to run with us. So we set it up. We shipped the drugs from the local pharmacy that was all pre-made and temperature controlled. We set up televisits with the patient, both at the local clinic, with the oncologist, but also with the patient at home. 
So the PI, the investigator could remain in close contact while he was unable to see the patient properly. The regulatory board agreed with our plans and we were able to implement these um, strategies while we also the patient only missed one dose in his normal regime. It turned out to be incredibly successful. We believe that this was one, if not the first, full DCT design implemented to this extent within Australia. With these rapid turnarounds, we were able to execute it. So you can imagine the outcome for the patient and his family were incredible. And we made him the priority. We turned it into a patient-centric approach, meaning that he could continue his treatment and he wasn't a dropout statistic or a loss to follow-up or a major protocol deviation. And he was incredibly grateful, as was the sponsor and also the site. As I said before, the FDA have been asking for a patient-centric approach for some time, and it's great to be able to implement these sorts of meaningful solutions. So I guess what did we learn was to think outside the box. What can be done if it was you or your family members, as I said before, if they were the patient? And what is a better way of doing things? So yes, I do think that what we do is making a really meaningful result for our patients, whether it's them or their family members or a wider family circle. I think it is significant. Thank you, Linda, for sharing that example. What would something like that look like in a protocol if it was more widely adopted and operationalized? For instance, using our mobile nurses, they could have dosed the patient at home once the patient may have, you know, six months of treatment. They know it's safe and they know the patient is tolerating the drug. Maybe the mobile nurse could do it at home. Televisits is not difficult to set up, including another doctor near the patient that is a little bit newer. In the US, we do have some options and some strategies around that where we do have more remote-based investigators. Again, it is US only. But, you know, and the patients can go and visit their local uh, phlebotomist to go and have their blood tests done so that it's available for the, for the doctors to read before the treatment rather than being done at site. So it is scalable. Mobile nurses, as I said before, are being more widely used now and incorporated whether it's across the entire study and all patients or whether it's on ad hoc basis like this, that it's available and set up ready to go and be implemented as needed. Looking ahead to the next one to three years, what do you view as the next step in wider adoption and utilization? I think it needs to be incorporated. It's incorporated in just everyday thinking, discussing, protocol planning, it's not an add-on service that we might just do because it's nice to have. I think it comes back to that mind shift change. It needs to be um, included at the very beginning. Um, I think that's, that, that's that next step where all studies think like that um, and not just, you know, it's very much the US and EU right now. DCT has been around a little bit longer where I am in Asia-Pac. Uh, it is newer service and it's like it might have been in the US 10 years ago so you're still having those early discussions about the benefits and why it should be included. Um, so depending on where the sponsor is or the studies being run is people's openness. But if it is incorporated early, I think it's a lot uh, easier to execute. And how do you instill thinking about DCT strategies earlier in the planning process? I think for some sponsors, it's easier to be incorporated than others. For them, I think it's their exposure to it. So some of the big pharma, it's been around enough or they've been doing it enough, you know, in the US and other countries long enough that it's easier for them to, to think that way. For some of the smaller companies where they haven't had exposure to DCT yet, it, there is, it's a big shift for them. 
as I said, it's like the US was 10, 15 years ago. Um, and they need to trust us. Uh, we're the experts in it. We've been there. We've done it. Um, we know how to how to execute and how to include it and how to make the best value out of it. Um, and they, there's, there needs to be a level of trust between the sponsor and, and people like ourselves, the CRO, who can run that component to them and hold their hand and support them, both the sponsors and also the sites. For some sites, it's still very new. And they may be a little bit resistant to having tally visits and the study coordinators sitting on their computers having a call with their patients. That might be out of their comfort zone. So we are here to walk them through that process uh, and guide them on it. We've done a, a, you know, many thousands of times um, and we're able to support them through that phase of, of learning and experiencing like DCT. Thank you so much, Linda, for taking the time to discuss your thoughts on decentralized clinical trial strategies. Again, Linda Ross is Associate Director of Commercial Strategy, Decentralized Clinical Trials at LabCorp. And for more information on PharmaTalk Radio podcasts, you can visit theconferenceforum.org. Thank you all for listening.